We're in a sermon series called The Tree of Life. Uh, This is our fifth week in it. Today I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, You know, in life, we come to many intersections. We come to decision points. We come to a place where we have to make a choice. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? And not just physical directions, but directions of the heart. Uh, Choices about not only what am I going to do, but who am I going to be? Uh, Choices that look good, uh, but often they don't produce life. And I'll confess, I I don't get this right every time in my own life. In fact, this past week, I was laying on the couch, I was kind of surfing through the channels, and a thought came to my mind, you know, you need to get up off this couch and move. You need to get up and work out. And so I took a nap, and the feeling passed, and... (laughs) You know, I got to that intersection, and truthfully, I made the wrong choice. Uh, But life is a series of choices. You know, are you going to choose to do this, or are you going to choose to do that? In fact, in the beginning of the Bible, God put two trees in the Garden of Eden, and it, it wasn't about the trees, it was about the choices that they represent. Genesis 2, 9 says, In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were given the choice between the knowledge of good things and bad things or life. The tree of knowledge and good and evil means that you're going to try and figure it out on your own. You're going to decide on your own what's good, what's bad, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. You know, you're going you're to uh, be godly in your own effort. But the tree of life means you make the choice to let God just live through you. You're literally transformed from the inside out. It's God working in me. And every day there are choices and intersections in my life and in your life where we're confronted with, you know, are you going to go with the tree of life or are you going to go with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And you've got to make the choice. Now look at Deuteronomy 30, 19. You know, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. God says, you know, I'm giving you the choices here. Between life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children, you know, it benefits other people when you choose life, so that you and your children may live. Now, we've been using the book of Galatians to to teach this concept, and in the first four chapters, the the concepts are just laid out for us. And now in chapter 5, where we're at today, Paul recaps what's gone on before, the, the fact that we're presented with four choices that we need to make every day. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talked about a different gospel that is really no gospel at all. He he says there are two forms of Christianity out there. One form brings bondage. It's hard. It's difficult. And the other form brings freedom and liberty and joy. And so the first choice that we have to make is, is are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? Choosing life versus choosing death. In every situation, you know, even when you're on the couch choosing whether you're going to work out or not, the deciding factor shouldn't be what your body feels like doing. The deciding factor should be what's going to bring life. 
Now, I understand that sometimes a nap can be life-giving. And sometimes working out can be life-threatening. Okay? You know, that's what makes these decisions so difficult and so important. And that's why God calls us to stop looking for easy, pat answers and instead to make godly decisions guided and directed by God. It's not about a list of rules. It's about a relationship. You know, the goal is to choose what brings life, not what brings death. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You know, so many people think that, that Christianity, they, they think that Christ came into the world to limit your freedom. That Jesus Christ wants to tell you what you must do and what you can't do. That he wants to keep you from doing the things that you really want to do. And so many people say, I just want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. I want to be my own man. I want to be my own woman. I want to be independent. I want to be free to choose to do what I want to do. And in their attempt to find freedom and do what they want to do, they end up in bondage to the very thing that they were pursuing is freedom. See this with drugs and alcohol all the time. You know, I just want to be free to, to drink whatever I want to drink or take whatever I want to take. And, and then next thing you know, it, the drug, the drink, is telling them what to do. And suddenly they find themselves in situations where they never, you know, doing things they never intended to do in places they never intended to be and so much for freedom. They end up addicted to the thing they thought would give them freedom. Or we go into debt to buy things that we think we will enjoy. And instead of enjoying those things, we become enslaved to those things. You know, we don't possess them, they possess us. Paul says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, some think of Christianity as bondage. If that's how you feel about Christianity, you haven't found Christ, you found a counterfeit. Because Christ brings freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In chapter 2 of Galatians, it talks about justification. Justification is a Bible word that means it's just as if I had never sinned and it's just as if I'd done everything right. You know, God releases us from the judgment that we deserve and God gives us a righteousness that we never deserve. My sin is gone and I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be justified. That's what God offers me. And that works pretty well until you start dealing with people. Because people expect you to do things and be things that God never expected you to do and to be. And so the next choice that you've got to make is pleasing God versus pleasing people. Galatians 5, 7. Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? He says, who tripped you up? And usually it's a person who expects something from you that God never expected from you. And it brings death to your life. And in the third chapter, we, we asked a question. We said, if God's going to justify me and let me off the hook, then why do we have the law? Why, why even have the Ten Commandments? What, what's the purpose of the law and the commandments? And we learned that the purpose of the law and the commandments, God never intended for you to keep the law. 
In fact, when God gave us the law, he knew we couldn't keep it. The purpose of the law was not so that you could keep the law and become right with God. The purpose of the law was to teach us that we cannot do it in our own strength. The purpose of the law was to demonstrate to us our sinfulness. The law was given to us to lead us to Christ. Our desperation in our own sinfulness and disobedience drives us to trust in Christ as a Savior. And so the third choice we need to make is we must follow a person versus following a list. We've got to follow a person, not a list. Galatians 5.2. Paul says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, and the reason he brings this up is because that was on the list. You know, under the law, that, that was the requirement that just sort of capped the whole thing. And, and, you know, you've got these believers in Galatia, these new Christians in Christ, and they've been set free from their sins, and all of a sudden, these pious religious leaders can show up and say, you know, you think you're saved, but no, 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 no. You've got to follow the law. You've got to do what the Old Testament says to do. And Paul says, if you do that, you're making an attempt to get right with God by following a rule, following a tradition. And, and he says, if you do that, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He says, if you're going to just do it on your own, Christ has no value. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Paul says if that's how you're going to do it, if that's how you're going to be right with God, by following the law, then you need to understand that you've got to get it right every single time. And you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't do it. It says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You've rejected grace and you've taken law as the way that you're going to be right with God. The law, the rules, the regulations, the traditions, they don't work. And if that's how you're going to try to get to God, the standard's too high. You can't reach it. You're just going to feel condemned all the time. You're going to look in the Word, you're going to come to church, you're going to hear the Word, you're going to think, oh yeah, this is what I need to be doing, and, and you're going to realize, but I'm not doing it, and you're going to feel condemned. And God never intended for you to feel condemned. In part four, we talked about how the way to become godly is to change your perspective of God as your Father, to pursue a relationship of life and love with Him. The way to get godly is to love God, not follow a list. You know, when I got married to my wife, Katie, I, I, I vowed to love and cherish, to uh, honor her from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And the whole goal of that ceremony was to let her know about the commitment that I was making to her. And then... The goal then is to live out that commitment. And there are a couple of ways that I can live out that commitment. One is I can wake up every day and just list it out. I can wake up every day and say, you know, I'm going to be nice to her. I'm going to not forget to kiss and hug her. I'm not going to say mean things to her. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm going to put the dishes in the dishwasher. I'm going to put the toilet seat down. I'm going to put my socks in the hamper. And, and I demonstrate my commitment to her every day by working the list. Or, 
Or I can just fall in love with her so much that I just intuitively want to do those things. I mean, I don't have to plan to kiss her. I just can't keep from kissing the girl. You know, I, I don't have to, to, to you know, keep myself from committing adultery. I just love her so much I'm not interested in anybody else. You know, I do acts of service not out of duty. I do them out of devotion. See, that's, that's the difference between those who succeed in the Christian life and those who fail at it. it it's those who move from duty to devotion. You know, they move from slavery to family. Why do we do what we do? We do it because we're sons and, and daughters. We're children of the king, not slaves. And so the fourth choice we need to make is being committed to someone versus being committed to something. You know, it's about someone. You know, a lot of people are committed to doing something instead of committed to someone. But the whole power of the things that we do comes from the person that we do them for. Look at Galatians 5, 6. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Paul says it's not about the rules that we keep or don't keep. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And then chapter 5 concludes with two lists of behavior. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the list. And most people think of these two lists as one is a don't-do list and the other one is a to-do list. But these two lists really aren't put here to tell you how to live. These two lists are put here to serve as a mirror, as a reflection by which to examine your life. You know, when you, when you look in the mirror of Scripture and, and you look at how you treat your spouse and kids and, and how you behave at work and how you act on the highway and how you respond to other people, which one of these lists reflects your life? And it will show you which tree you are eating from. You know, the fruit of the self or the fruit of the Spirit. You know, these lists are the fruit that manifests itself in our life. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 lists the fruit of the self. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says you're never going to get the best from God if you're living like this. If you hold your life up against this list and you start getting matches, you start getting hits, it's not a good thing. Second list is Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a whole different list. Against such there is no law. He says, you don't need commandments written on stone to make these happen. When you eat from the right tree, it just happens. You don't have to be reminded with a list. These things just flow out of your life. And so the big question of the day is, is how do you get to a place where you're just living life and the byproduct of your life is love, joy, peace, 
patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you bear that kind of fruit? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if every time you got to an intersection, every time you got to a life choice, every decision point, if, if one of the fruit of the Spirit popped out instead of one of the fruit of the self? How do you get there? How do you get the good fruit like that in your life? Four things. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit inside of us because God never intended for you to live life in your own power. Never intended for you to live. That's why so many Christians keep popping out the wrong fruit because they keep trying to do it in their own power. I mean, listen to the negative list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, folks, that is an awful list. But who among us has not had a Christian brother or sister? Someone who when you looked at them on the outside, it looked like they had it all together. And then all of a sudden, they do something on that list. <laughs> We've all seen it happen. It happens to people all the time. How do we avoid the pitfall of sin? How do you instead embrace the fruit of the Spirit? You know, when you get to those intersections, it, to be filled with the Spirit means that you choose not to operate on your own power. Galatians 5.16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. Now, now the problem is, most of us are afraid of this Holy Spirit thing. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, God the Father, you know, we're, we're okay with that. Jesus the Son, I mean, we love Jesus. But this Holy Ghost thing, that's just a little scary to us. But what are you missing if you leave out the Spirit? Well, you're missing the whole reason why Jesus came. John 16, 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, that's the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus Christ has promised that he would give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come into our life, into, into us, and he would be our counselor and our advisor and our guide and our friend, and he would direct our lives. But we have to get over our fear of the Holy Spirit. I mean, everything God has for you is good. Everything that God gives is good, including this Holy Spirit thing. And if you embrace Him, He will embrace you. And you'll discover His power in those intersections, those decision points. But if you don't embrace the power of the Spirit, you're going to end up having a form of godliness but no power. You'll be following the rules in the flesh, but you won't be living life in the power of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You know, debauchery is where you just fulfill, uh, you indulge the senses. And so you're going through the Christian life, and yes, you're a Christian, and yes, you're headed to heaven, but your body keeps calling the shots. 
says, no, you know, don't do that. Instead of us, sleep as long as you want, be mean and grumpy all day, eat whatever you want, watch whatever you want to watch, do whatever satisfies your feelings. You know, we do that, and all of a sudden we start producing this awful fruit. We find ourselves doing exactly what we don't want to do. We are enslaved to our body. Paul says, don't do that. Be filled with the Spirit. Second thing we need to do is we need to understand the battle on the inside. You've got to realize that you are in an all-out war for your life. There is a battle going on inside of you. Your sin nature is waging, uh, wanting its way, and your spiritual nature is wanting its way. Uh, Galatians 5.17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You know, there is a war raging inside of you. And who wins the battle? Well, the biggest and the strongest. I mean, that's who wins the battle. There's this conflict going on. Each one is trying to gain control. And part of the victory comes in recognizing that there's a battle raging in the first place. You don't ignore the battle. You own the battle. You own the outcome. Too many Christians ignore the battle. Too many Christians don't own the outcome. In fact, sometimes we don't want victory. We feel better when we lose because when we lose, we get to do what we want. We'd rather struggle with our sin than gain victory over it because sometimes losing the battle feels good. Relapsing can be fun. But God calls us to step up and own the battle, own the outcome. You've got to decide whose side you're on. You've got to fight for the right side to win. If you're not fighting for the right side to win, when you're committing sabotage and treason. And if I'm going to win the battle, I need to, and third thing, kill my old sin nature daily. Kill? That's a pretty graphic term. But some of us just get too namby-pamby about this whole sin thing. You know, we wake up and, and we want to wage the spiritual battle with squirt guns or BB guns and the, and the world and the flesh show up armed to the teeth because they're serious about it. We need to wake up and recognize it. You know, today I'm going to want to be mean at times. Today I'm going to want to lose my temper. Today I'm going to want to look at stuff I shouldn't look at. Today I'm going to want to overspend and overeat. Today I'm going to want to fret and worry. But I, God, I want to be on the right side of this battle. And I pray that your spirit who lives inside of me will take control. I make my decision. I make my choice. I say yes to you. I say no to myself. I say no to the evil influences that are raging in and around me. God, today I decide to live for you. Every moment, every moment, every intersection, every decision point. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Underline crucified the sinful nature. I mean, you're going at it with hammer and nails. That's how serious this battle is. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of a crucified life. But let me tell you why some of us won't choose it. Because there's a part of our sin nature that we like. We don't want to crucify it. We want to satisfy it. 
You know, maybe you've been coming to Rockbrook for a while, and, and you'd say, you know, I kind of like this Jesus stuff. I, you know, I like the music. I like the message. I kind of like what I see, but, but I'm just afraid to go all in. I mean, I sit in church, and God is like he's speaking to me, and God is asking me to take this leap of faith and, and give him my life, but I just can't do it. Why? B- because I'm afraid I'll lose everything. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friends and I'll lose my way of life. I'll lose my identity. I won't even know who I am. I'm just afraid I'll lose everything. And the truth is, you will. <laughs> you will. But Jesus Christ will give you a life. Jesus Christ will give you more than you ever imagined was possible for you to have. You know, you'll lose everything, but God gives you back more. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Deny himself. And take up his cross. Let's crucify his old sinful nature. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You know, you're afraid if you go all in for Jesus Christ that you're going to lose everything. And the truth is, you will. But the other truth is, is you couldn't keep it anyway. Jesus says, you try and hang on to that, you'll lose it. (laughs) But you give it up, and Jesus Christ will give you far better than what you gave. He'll give you an abundant life, an eternal life. And instead of bearing the fruit of the self, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. Christ will bless you and care for you and the Spirit will lead you and guide you and you'll live a life like you never knew was possible to live. The fourth thing you've got to do is you've got to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When you get to those decision points, those intersections, the Holy Spirit will motivate you to make the right choice. You get to places where you need to make a life decision and the Spirit of the Lord will nudge you in the right direction. But you've got to identify and listen and obey the promptings. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Isaiah 30.21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you get to those decision points in life, wouldn't you love to just hear the voice of God just just speak right into your ear and say, yeah, this this is the one you need to do. No, 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 don't go there, go over here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. You're cold. Ooh, warmer, warmer. Now you're hot. (laughs) You know? In two weeks on Easter Sunday, we're going to start a new sermon series called Whispers from God. And we're going to spend four weeks looking deeply into this issue of how can you hear God speak to you? How can you recognize God's voice? How can you know what he's telling you to do? And how can you follow his promptings? Because it's just so crucial that we do that. But today, I want to encourage you to just give God everything. To just turn your life over to Him and watch what He will do in return. Watch how He will give you true life. He will help you to to bear the good and desirable fruit of the Spirit. He'll help you to put off the fruit of the self. And some of you, you're, you're in a point in your life where you really need to make the right choice. 
You know, maybe you've tried to give God everything, but you're holding some stuff back, and it's starting to bear the wrong kind of fruit. You know, if you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at your life and it's full of stress and worry and chaos and trouble and a sin is, is, is ruling and reigning in your life, maybe quietly behind the scenes, nobody else knows it, but you know every day I'm losing this battle. You're at a decision point. You need to respond. It's time for you to turn your life, your whole life, over to God and be filled with His Spirit so you can begin to bear the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faith, self-control. But if you're going to bear the right kind of fruit, you need the right kind of root. You need to be plugged into the right tree. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises there. The promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. You'll forgive us our sins. And you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, I thank you that, that we can be justified, that not only do you, do you clean us up, not only do you pull us up out of the miry clay, and you set our feet on the solid rock. And you give us the righteousness of Christ, and you give us the gift of the Spirit so that we can wage this battle effectively. If you're here today and you're sick and tired of losing the battle, I want to invite you just to open up your heart and life and say, Jesus, I want you to come in. I want you to rule and reign. I want to bear the fruit from the tree of life. I want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and I want to crucify myself. I want to set myself aside and receive the life that you offer me. God, I thank you that that you have promised that if I invite you to come in, you'll come, and you will do these things in my life. Would you just claim those today? Say, God, please do this in my life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.